0: Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost Series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're very welcome to this morning's Signpost webinar. My name is Pat Murphy, Head of Environment Knowledge Transfer with Chagask. And this morning's webinar is brought to you in association with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland, Skillnet, and National Rural Network. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've uh, focused on water quality, and over the next couple of weeks, we're shifting to uh, biodiversity. And I'm delighted to be joined by Sirla Kabna. Sirla is, is EIP Project Coordinator on the, the Protecting Farmland uh, Pollinators EIP, and she's based in the National Biodiversity Data Centre in, in Watford. Sirla, you're very welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Fat. I'm delighted to be here.
0: You might give us a a little bit of a background as to how you ended up in in, in Waterford protecting our biodiversity.
1: So I uh, moved to Waterford to uh, work on this project. Um, So I'm managing protecting farmland pollinators, which is coordinated by the National Biodiversity Data Centre and an initiative of the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. Um, I've got a research background in pollinators um, and also uh, honey and chemistry and um, the landscape. So they're my research interests. So this job kind of was right up my alley.
0: Very good. Very good. I'm also joined by Andy Ball, and Andy will be helping with the, the, the questions later. So, Sarah, without further ado, I might get you to share your presentation. And uh, as uh, usual, we'll have plenty of time for, for questions at the end. So I encourage you to use the Q&A uh, to put, uh, put your questions
1: Thank you very much. So, as I said, uh, protecting farmland pollinators is coordinated by the National Biodiversity Data Centre and an initiative of the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. It's an EIP project and in, it's funded by the European Agricultural Fund for Rural Development. And in Ireland, that's managed by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. So EIPs, or European Innovation Partnership Projects, were brought about to come up with um, innovative ideas to address potential problems that, that are facing us. Um, they were looking for um, innovative ideas that had wider application. They weren't exclusively related to the environment, but this one um, is obviously related to the environment. What I think is one of the greatest successes of the EIPs is that it uses a multi-actor approach. So. They're bringing researchers and farmers and advisors um, and different organizations together to come up with solutions to to potential problems. So in Ireland and worldwide, we are in a biodiversity crisis and how we manage the land is going to impact on um, the diversity of species that can be found. So the the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan and the National Biodiversity Data Centre came together um, with a proposal for protecting farmland pollinators. And the hope is that we can change um, how the land is managed uh, from uh, something that may not be very pollinator friendly to a place where pollinators and wider biodiversity can not only survive, but thrive. So the project received 1.2 million euro in funding, and it's being run over a five year period. And we recruited 40 farmers to the project. And most of these farmers are in um, County Kildare, but some of them are in bordering counties. So we have 10 beef, 10 dairy, 10 mixed and 10 tillage farmers involved in the project. And I just wanted to to note that uh, from here on, I will will refer to tillage farmers as arable farmers for any potential international um, people tuning in. So within each farm type, we had different farming intensities. So we wanted to have farms that would have high inputs and high outputs, as well as farms that might have low inputs and low outputs. And then we also Um, have different farmer attitudes involved in the project. So farmers that would um, be interested in in managing areas of their farm for biodiversity and those that aren't. And lastly, which was just by chance, we managed to get farms that had different household incomes involved. So farms uh, where the whole household income is reliant on the farm compared to those where the household income is not solely reliant on the farm. We're operating a results-based payment mechanism. So each year, farmers receive pollinator points, and those points equate to a monetary reward that the farmers receive annually. And in year one, collectively, the 40 farmers drew down uh, just over €63,000, and this increased to just over €93,000 in year three. And then we also conducted a series of farm surveys. So we wanted to find out if this results-based payment is act- accurately reflecting the pollinators that, is, that are on the farms. So we had four aims that we wanted to address. We wanted to help farms become more pollinator friendly. We wanted to identify actions that farmers can take that will not negatively impact on productivity. And to do this, we developed a whole farm pollinator scoring system and initiated a results-based payment method. And using this scoring system, we, we identified the best actions for pollinators on the farm. So the whole farm pollinator scorecard is based on providing food, safety and shelter for pollinators on the farm. And it's not just about the quantity of these habitats, but the quality. So if you had one hectare of hay meadow, the quality comes into play when you look at the diversity of flowering plants within that hay meadow. And I'd like to highlight that the whole farm pollinator scorecard stems from the farmland actions to help pollinators, which were produced by the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. And these actions are evidence-based. The evidence that was used in these actions comes from other European countries and the UK. So what we wanted to do was to generate the evidence from within Ireland. We have a very unique landscape and we have a fantastic farming industry here. We wanted to <clears throat> work with Irish farmers to see what suits um, Irish farmland. So we developed a scorecard with 19 actions. We have four actions for hedgerows and field margins. There are six actions for fields and flowers. We have two actions associated with pollinator-friendly trees. And there are seven actions for not using pesticides. So each of the 19 actions on the scorecard have a unit of measurement associated with them. And this is just a a a one-action example from the, the the. scorecard. So you can see you have action number one and the unit of measurement is, is meters. So this unit of measurement could be meters or hectares or the number of trees. And then there's the approximate amount. And then each action is weighted according to, their value, to its value for pollinators. And this is based on research. And then each action is quality assessed using a range of one to five, one being of lower quality and five being of higher quality and then the score and payment are calculated. And I'd just like to highlight that the farmer um, fills in the scorecard each year, and they need to fill in the two shaded gray columns within the scorecard. So they fill in the approximate amounts of each of the actions, and they also fill in the range. I'd like to highlight um, the importance of rewarding for quality and also um, give you an explanation as to how we do that within our scorecard. So for the first four actions on the scorecard, which are associated with hedgerows and field field boundaries, the range is based on the number of flowering plants in flower within each of those um, features. And we would get an average for the whole farm. And then the other field actions, so hay meadow, for example, the range is based on the number of flowering plants and the reason why we said that for the first four actions the range needed to be based on the flowering plants in flower was to do with hedgerow management in one area and then also um, the complexity of the hedgerows. So if you had a hawthorn hedge, you're only going to get flowers on mature wood. If a hawthorn hedge is cut every year, you're very unlikely to get flowers. Sorry, so the farmers have used these scorecards for three consecutive years now to score their farms. And out of the 40 farms, 31 have increased their score over the three-year period. And in these 31 farms, three farmers have more than tripled their pollinator score. And you can see in this graph that the whole farm pollinator score has increased across all the different sectors. So there's an increase in beef farms dairy farms mixed farms and arable farms across the three years so how did farmers increase their scores well by changing how they were managing their farms so one of the easiest ways to increase your your pollinator points is how you're managing your hedgerows so by not cutting your hedge every year and maybe selecting a hedge that can be cut on a two year rotation you're going to increase the floral resources for pollinators on your farm and then another hedge could potentially be cut on a three year rotation. And maybe you can move the the field margin um, out from the hedgerow to allow ground flora to flourish. So we've moved the scorecard into an online tool. So using the survey one, two, three application, the 19 actions can be accessed. We're assessing for the quantity of these actions and the quality of them. And the online tool provides tailored advice to the farmer. So the farmer receives guidance on how they can improve their score if they want to. And we're operating a five-star platform system. So there's a, a number of stars, one to five, and it's based on the, a range of points. So if a farm receives five gold stars, um, their farm is a haven for pollinators. So there are three sections to the online tool. We have the survey one, two, three application, which is for collecting the data it allows for photo upload and there's private and limited access to this tool and then we're using ArcGIS online data management portal to update and delete the data to approve or reject surveys and then to visualize the survey reports and i think it's i'd like to highlight that the, the visualize the, the visualization functionalities within this it's actually very user-friendly and they calculate the average and the sums and the maximum and minimums of different actions automatically for you. And then lastly, we're using Power Automate to generate these automatic reports that the farmer receives. So once a scorecard is submitted and approved, the farmer receives an email with a PDF attachment um, explaining the um, where they can improve their scores if they want to. So the tailored advice, the first page, um, is the the picture on the left here where they have the farm ID, the date the scorecard was submitted, the name of the farmer and the address. And then if your farm receives five gold stars, congratulations, your farm is a haven for pollinators and thank you very much. Um, And then the, the 19 actions are then listed with advice associated with each of them. I'd just like to highlight that With each action, we have a national average so the farmer can see how they're faring compared to the the average farms. And just important to highlight that our national average is only based on the farms with a submitted scorecard. So if we have 40 farmers engaged in the project and 40 farmers have submitted their score, our national average is 40. So I'd like to take you through some of the farm surveys that we conducted in 2020. Um, we we featured we surveyed nine features on the farms, so we identified um, habitats on a farm that could potentially provide floral resources for pollinators. So these are areas where you were going to you were likely to find pollinators. And then we also looked at two controlled fields. So we surveyed barley and pasture, and these are the sites that we were expecting not to find pollinators. So, the farm surveys consist, consisted of plant and pollinator surveys, as well as um, surveying hedgerow structure. So, for the pollinator surveys, we focused on bees and hoverflies. I think it's important to note that there are other important pollinators out there, but we focused on obligate pollinator um, visitors, sorry, plant, of, obligate pollinator species, bees and hoverflies. Um, and we conducted transect walks we used pan trapping and malaise trapping. And just to highlight that the malaise trapping was only put on hedgerows and we only put two malaise traps on 25 of the farms. It would have been logistically quite difficult to put malaise traps on the 40 farms. So for the plant surveys, again, we surveyed nine features across the um, on the 40 farms and we use quadrats to assess um the plants on the on the farms so we had two control fields as well the barley and the pasture and we looked at species richness and floral units and percentage cover so species richness is the all the different species found within a quadrat. So we walked across a field with our quadrat and at five different locations within that field, we put the quadrat down and we looked at the species richness. So in this picture of the quadrat here, you can see there's dandelion and there's also um, buttercup. So species richness equals two for this quadrat. And then the floral units essentially is counting flowers. So there are five dandelions and flower in this quadrat. For the hedgerows, it's a bit more of a complex habitat. So we walked 200 meters along the hedgerows in the farms and we recorded um, the ground flora, the middle section of the hedge, and the upper section of the hedge. So I'm going to take you through some of the results that we have so far. And I'm going to focus on the pollinators. So. Across the 40 farms, we had 10 arable, 10 beef, 10 dairy, and 10 mixed. And within each farm type, we had various degrees of farming intensities. And overall, we recorded 8,659 pollinators, and 7,189 of these were identified species level. So across the 40 farms, we had 37 bee species and 57 hoverfly species recorded. And you can see here in the donut graph that the most of these were hoverfly species. So that's the 63% surfidae. They were all hoverflies. And then the, the second um, largest chunk of the donut is bumblebees at 21%, followed by the apis honeybees at 12%, and 4% solitary bees. I'm showing a graph on honeybee abundance here. So this is the total number, the average total number of honeybees recorded in the different farm types. So you can just see that the mixed farms have the highest average honeybee abundance across the the different farm types. And 36 of the 40 farmers had, we, we recorded honeybees on them. The reason why I'm showing a graph of honeybees here is because honeybees are, not only wild pollinators in Ireland but they're also managed and it's difficult to detect whether or not a honeybee that you will see out in the field is uh, managed or a wild bee so for that reason I've excluded honeybee data from all the rest of um, the graphs that I'm going to show you now um, or from all the different um, the data that I will report So you will see uh, me refer to non-apis pollinators and non-apis bees. And that's simply because the honeybees are excluded from from that data. So I'm going to report on the hedgerow data. So this is again for pollinators. So we're looking at solitary bees, bumblebees and hoverflies. And we had three different sampling periods within the summer of 2020, where we looked at these pollinator species. We conducted transect walks, used pan traps and malaise trapping. So we have three different sample pe- sampling periods and three different surveying methods. And if you just look at um, the sampling period, number one, the transect data is only for 39 farms. So unfortunately, one of the farms that is, is left out of the, the data analysis because one of the hedges could not be accessed to survey the pollinators. There was a bull in the field. And we decided not to risk it and and go in and um, record the pollinators. So when we look at pollinators, we want to know about pollinator abundance, which is the total number of pollinators that you can see. And we also want to know about pollinator species richness. So if you walk down into your garden or on the street and you see three honeybees, one bumblebee and one hoverfly your pollinator abundance is five because you have three plus one plus one, but your pollinator species richness is three because you only saw three different species of pollinators. So when you're reporting on pollinator abundance, you generally use transect data and for pollinator species richness, it's very useful to have different sampling methods to see if you get the same relationship. So just in terms of what bees were found on the hedges on the farms. so. There were 24 different species of bee, so that's your species richness, uh, found across the 39 farms, and the average number of bees per farm was five. 14 farms were above average, but that implies that 25 were below average, so there is definitely room for improvement. The maximum number of bees found on any one farm was 10 species, and that was an arable farm. And then the minimum found was one species. So the top three bees recorded um, across the, the farms. So number one was the Bombus leucorum aggregate. Number two was Bombus pascuorum, the common carter bee. Number three was on lapidarius, the red tailed bumblebee. So, the top three bees found on the farms were all bumblebees. So, I just want to mention that the most frequently recorded solitary bee was the orange legged furrow bee, Halictus rubicundus. So, looking at the hoverflies now, across the 39 farms, we had 40 different species of hoverflies recorded along the hedgerows. And the average number of species per farm was nine, and 14 farms were above average. And again, that implies that there was 25 farms below average. The maximum number of hoverfly species were found on a dairy farm, and the minimum number of species was 14. So the most frequently recorded hoverfly on the the, the, the 39 farms was Episurphus spaltiatus, the marmalade hoverfly. This was actually the most recorded species overall. This was followed by Platycerus albumanus, and the third most frequently detected or recorded hoverfly was Melanostoma millennium. So now I want to just show you the picture across the different farm types. So looking at pollinator abundance. So this is data from the 39 farms using the transect walk. So the total number of pollinators recorded or the, the, the average total number of pollinators recorded within each of the different farm sectors. So arable here is standing out above all other farm types as having a higher abundance of pollinators. And this has actually been found um, previously in the research. And one suggestion for that is that on an arable farm, there may not be many other areas of floral resources for pollinators. So that if a pollinator wants something to eat, they have to go to the hedgerow to to get food. So that's why um, you're more likely to find them along the hedgerows. When you look at species richness, so all the different types of pollinators, there's a different story to be told. So beef, dairy and mixed farms all have higher species richness compared to arable farms. And this is based on the 25 farms using the transect and the malaise trap data. And just to to highlight that the average pollinator species richness across these 25 farms was so this is all pollinators together. So this is hoverflies and bees. Um, was nineteen and nine farms were above average, but again, this is showing that we've got sixteen farms below average. And the maximum number of pollinator species. So the most, the farm that had the most different types of pollinators was an arable farm, and they recorded there was thirty pollinator species recorded on that farm. And I think it's. Um, worth to note that this farm was actually part of the Chagask signpost uh, farmer. Sorry, this farmer is a Chagas signpost farmer. So the crucial question is, is there an association between the pollinator points generated using the scorecard and the abundance and species richness of the pollinators on the farm? So is the scorecard accurately reflecting the pollinators that are on the farms? And yes uh, is the answer. So if you include the pollinator points for hedgerows, hay meadows, non-farmed areas, not using pesticides, and pollinator-friendly trees, we have found a positive relationship. But this data excludes the points for bird cover, clover pasture, cover crops, herbalays, and mixed species swords. I'm going to take you through three slides of graphs. Um, And it's just showing these um, positive relationships that have been found. So looking at the farm scorecard and pollinator species richness using the transect data only, you can see that for the bee pollinators, so this is solitary bees and bumblebees together, there is a positive relationship. It's a strong positive relationship between pollinator points and bee species richness. There's also a positive relationship between solitary bee species richness and bumblebee species richness, and also for all pollinator species richness. So this is bringing the solitary bees, the bumblebees, and the hoverflies together. And now when we look at the farm scorecard and the pollinator species richness using two different sampling methods, so bringing the Transact data and the malaise data together for 25 farms, we still find a positive relationship for the solitary bees, um, sorry, excuse me, for the bee species richness and pollinator points. So this is solitary bees and bumblebees together and for the solitary bees separately and for bumblebees and pollinators. And then lastly, looking at pollinator abundance, so this is all the pollinators that were recorded on the farm, and this is for the 39 farms. There is a moderate positive relationship for bee abundance and bumblebee abundance and pollinator points. So just before I finish up, um, I want to just take you through some other po- positive aspects of. The the project. So, firstly, I just want to mention the solitary bee nest sites. So, in order to join the project, farmers need to create these solitary bee nest sites on their farms. So, 80% of our um, 102 bee species in Ireland are solitary bees. And solitary bees can only forage within about 200 meters from their home. So, you could have a massive field of flowers. But if there's nowhere for those bees to live, within that field or close to that field, you won't have these species of bee on your farm. So farmers created 300 bare soil sites and 130 bee boxes were put up by the 40 participant farmers. And just to say that we surveyed these sites after about four months and already um, a lot of them were occupied. So we had nine species of uh, soil, um, sorry mining um, bees recorded and four species of above ground cavity nesting bees and now is actually a great time to go out and if you see an area of bare soil with bees flying or hovering around the the top of them this is actually a solitary bee aggregation so it's a really good time to see these bees emerging from their from their homes so the, the mining bees actually mine uh tunnels into the ground and that's where they lay their eggs and then the, the cavity nesting bees can live in bee boxes and this is a really great example of um A bee box is right next to some flowers so they don't have to travel far. And it's actually the leaf cutter bee is um, set up camp here. And you can see the leaves have been cut on the rows um, and used to to cover the holes to show that the the nests have been occupied. So these um, sites, they came in a range of different sizes and shapes and were located in different areas and it wasn't only the farmer that made them, they had helping hands in some instances where livestock actually make these um, for you. So it's a great example of uh, farming and nature working together. So from the surveys and the data that we generated, we created an evidence-based action sheet on how to create solitary bee nest sites on your farm. So there's information on where they could be put, whether it should be um, what aspect it should be facing, whether it should be sheltered, and then we also have a uh, tips from the farmers section. So you can see that sheltered banks work better than flat ground, and that's just one farmer's um, input. So straight from the horse's mouth. And lastly, I just like to mention the farmer engagement. So we've got forty fantastic farmers that have engaged with this project. Um, feedback has been incredible and there's been advice and the scorecard has evolved over the various years to see what works we've been very open to to finding out the answers and again working with the farmers to do that we've hosted a number of farm walks um, where we've there's been peer um, knowledge transfer and knowledge sharing and i think this is an invaluable resource so you can actually see what works um to actually have a visual um, example. Um, We've hosted a number of training sessions and these are mostly being online on identifying bees or plants or how to use the scorecard. And then there's a bee-friendly farmer WhatsApp group where the farmers are now coming together and uh, sharing different aspects of biodiversity on their farm or different management um, practices that they're undertaking. And these pictures are all um, taken from that WhatsApp group. Um, I think it's great to see that it's not just bees that are getting the attention. We have the door beetle and the moths and the unseen war between aphids and ladybirds. So I have not been alone in doing this work. We've had a fantastic team and the survey team in 2020 were absolutely brilliant. It was a tough year for a lot of people, everybody, I think. And I think we worked really well to get all those plants um, and and pollinators surveyed across the 40 farms. I have a fantastic operational group that have uh, been contributing to the project throughout the, the last four years. And on that operational group, I have five champion farmers that just like have been absolutely fantastic. And The other farmers um, within the group are also coming out as champions themselves. And um, I must mention Una Fitzpatrick, who's the chair of the operational group and the coordinator of this project. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure to be working with her. So just some take home messages. So the pollinator scorecard has been developed. It is suitable for a national rollout. There are no input costs. It has a very low administrative burden. It is evidence-based. We are rewarding farms with greater pollinator diversity. It has minimum training requirements and it is a simple way to encourage interested farmers in becoming more pollinator friendly. And lastly, which I think is absolutely amazing, is that farmers are really (coughs) interested in learning how to be biodiversity friendly. And what I think is really important for us is that we need to give them the information so that they can take action to help biodiversity. Thank you all very much for your attention, uh, Gøran
0: Okay, thank you very much, and and uh, I think if the uh, number of questions coming in is any indicator, there is a huge level of interest in in uh, what you're what you're presenting. You might uh, just take down your presentation there. Great. Um, I suppose a few, a, a few quick questions at uh, uh, to begin. Uh, I think the one thing that will probably uh, be counterintuitive for a lot of people uh, who would expect that the tillage and, and dairy farms would be less uh, uh, scoring than, than and and probably less improving than than probably beef and and other dry stock farms. That have you had any explanation for that, or they seem to be scoring well and and then in, uh, improve more along the way.
1: Um. Yeah, so there's a couple of explanations out there for that. So, like, one potential is that maybe there's more room for improvement on these farms. So you can see that, that you know, starting off. Um, yeah, so there's more room for improvement is one example. Um, I think for, like, these um, livestock farms are potentially providing more nesting habitat for our solitary bees. That's another example.
0: Okay. And, and I suppose one other question you, uh, well, you, you, I know you were looking at a, a little bit of broader biodiversity uh, and I suppose the question arises as to the commonality of the, uh, of what you are assessing from the pollinators to um, other areas of biodiversity. So uh, in, in the work you do for pollinators, how positive is it for other elements of the, the, the broader di- uh, biodiversity?
1: So we can say without doubt that if you create habitat for pollinators on your farm, you will create habitat for wider biodiversity as well. So there will be positive um, impacts for for other areas of biodiversity. And we did record um, uh, plants so that you can see that there is a higher diversity for plants and they are um, the backbone, but backbone for, for all the other life forms.
0: And I suppose in your conclusion, are you saying that, there, uh, uh, that there's scope for everybody, uh, regardless of the level of, of uh, intensity of which you're farming, to see substantial improvements on an ongoing basis with proper management?
1: Without doubt, definitely. So even if you could increase the number of flowering plants in your hedge from two to four, that's doubling the amount of resources potentially for pollinators.
0: Okay. Andy, pile of questions coming in.
2: Loads of questions coming in, Sarah, and loads of really positive comments and um, loads of uh, appreciation for the work that you're doing. Um, A few maybe specifics. How did the dairy farmers, or do you know, how did they increase their pollinator areas?
1: Um, so I just give you a uh, one example to start off with. So I know one farm where they moved all their fences out 1.5 to two meters from the hedge, so they're reducing the amount of area available for grazing, but they are increasing the amount of habitats providing food, safety, and shelter for pollinators. A great amount. So. You may not be able to do that on every hedge on your farm, but maybe there's one hedge where you might do it. And even if you can take this one small action, it can have a really big impact.
2: Mm. Was there any issue with any of the farmers getting the payment and their, if they were getting an environmental payment like gloss or well, acres or anything, was there any complications there?
1: So to date, all farmers have received their payments. There may have been a couple of delays, which I know all farmers are used to, Um but in terms of gloss payments, so we had to ensure that there were no double payments. So the farmers still received their pollinator points. But if they had received a gloss payment for um, a permanent pasture, for example, then we wouldn't have double paid.
2: OK, OK. Um, there's another question uh, they were wondering um feedback from the farmers about the practicing uh, or the practicalities of of cutting hedgerows maybe three years you know leaving them for three years and you know side cutting and, <clears throat> and um electric fence earthing and you know kind of practical things that farmers would say to you did you come across those issues or how did you overcome them
1: definitely um so they are issues i think that are across all farming sectors um where there could be negative impacts of allowing hedges to grow. And I think it's about finding the right hedge for the right management. So hawthorn hedges, they grow very slowly. So they they won't impact on your your, um, electric fence, for example. So within the project, there's been some farmers that would have had that attitude where I needed to cut my hedge every year because it is going to impact on my electric fence or it is going to scratch the tractor, which is another problem. So by doing these little mini experiments to say, OK, so maybe there's a hedge where you could trial it and do 200 meters and see if it's going to have that kind of a, an effect. And I think farmers, well, most of the farmers I've met are all scientists at heart and they like to do these little experiments to see if it works. Um, so, again, identifying the hedge and, and which one can be managed in different ways. But by cutting your hedges on a three year rotation, you are going to increase the amount of floral resources um, more than tenfold for, for pollinators.
2: Okay. And actually, you mentioned as well, And there's a question, uh, kind of two, two types of question um, about the farmer doing the scorecard themselves. Uh, how long did it take for the farmer to do the scorecard? And also, did you give the farmer training in completing the scorecard?
1: Yes. Um, so <clears throat> training is provided every year. So we'd always have a refresher training um, on how you can fill in the scorecard. Uh, so I would have met with the farmers in person initially, um, and then we have annual training. So it depends on the farmer on how long it will take them. Um, they receive the scorecard yeah, as an attachment in an email. So it's an Excel spreadsheet that you can either print out and then write on it yourself and take a picture of it and send it in, or you can fill it out in Excel um, if that suits you better. Now, in terms of the online tool that we have developed, this um, this is our first year running it. So... It'll be interesting to see how that works out um, because that's going to be a new interface that the farmers are going to use. But we have done a trial run and there's been very positive feedback about this online tool and using it, the Survey123 application.
2: And did you validate any of the results that the farmers did themselves or did you cross check them or give them any guidance afterwards?
1: Most definitely. So we provide audits annually on at least 10% of the farms. Oh, okay.
2: Yes. Yeah um any idea why the beef results scores did not increase across the three years in the same way as the dairy or arable is that
1: so again i think it's similar to what i said to pat earlier in that it's not that they didn't i don't like i don't see it as they didn't increase as much as the others i see that there's been an increase across all sectors and that maybe there's been um wider scope for some farming sectors to increase more than others I think what you would find on a lot of beef farms is the hedges are not being cut as frequently as they may be on a dairy farm. So there's more scope for a dairy farm to change their management structure. And I think that hedgerows really do um, play a a big part in that.
2: Have you had any indication from the department on incorporating this approach or as a standard practice into some of the schemes or cap payments or environment schemes or?
1: So the department have um been very interested in the project from the onset and I have um fed back over the years all of the work that we've done and the, all the successful outcomes um from it. So I'm hoping that there will be um future interest as it is evidence-based. We are rewarding farms with a greater pollinator diversity. Like that's incredible that 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 that, yeah. that that's the outcome from this.
2: The 14 farms that had above average bee species present, um, were they the same farms that had above average hoverfly presence or was not. There not necess- no, no,
1: no, not necessarily at all. No, no. no.
2: Um,
1: so all we've so many different species of pollinators, um, there are over 180 hoverfly species, for example, and we've got 102 bees in Ireland. So... They all, like, they all have different requirements and some of them like um, different flowers, just like we do. We all like, have different favorite foods. So do the bees and so do the, the hoverflies and and also different nesting requirements as well.
2: Mm. There's a comment here, there's more of a, a comment or a, uh, is it, are you suggesting that pollinator species are a good me- metric of habitat condition? It seems that these species are now pinned back to the hedgerows um, and now uh, they're coming now. They're coming for the hedgerows. I mean, I suppose is is more of a comment than a suggestion. Or, a, I can see what he's getting at. You know, if we're, if we're are we pinning everything back into the hedgerows? Is that?
1: Um, yeah. oh. that it, uh, there is potential for that, yes, um, if there's no floral resources in other areas of the farms, that's where the, the, our pollinators are going to go. And I think in Ireland, we're so lucky, like even in your picture there in the background, like the hedgerows, they really make our landscape, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's what makes Ireland so beautiful is these hedgerows and how we manage them is what's really mm-hmm. important for our biodiversity.
2: Yeah, well, I suspect the comment maybe was that if we're if we're losing hedgerows, then we're in we're we're in we're in bother, you know.
1: Yes, let's yeah. plant some more.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a uh, question in there just uh, about whether you found any rare t- uh, 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 species, or was it uh, 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 I suppose the, the, the more common species? And it's I suppose it's a thing that resonates in the bird world as well that we have re- uh, I suppose improving numbers of of the common birds, but a problem with with specifics. So was there anything I suppose promising in in what you found from from identifying some of the rare species?
1: Uh, yes, um, there was actually. So we found the large carder bee, which was very exciting. Um, as we're walking across fields and, and recording pollinators, you know, if we found a rare one, we'd always let each other know, oh, look what I have. Um, so the, it was great to see the large carder bee was actually recorded on four of the 40 farms. So this is one of our rarest bumblebees in Ireland. So to to, to find these and in the in the surveys that we conducted in 2020 it was recorded on two of the farms, but in subsequent years um one of the farm another farm had created a native hay meadow on their farm, and when I was surveying that, I came across the large Carter bee so it was a great example of how this farm um, created a native hay meadow for um, providing food. Uh, flowers for for pollinators, and it brought in this really rare bumblebee. So it was absolutely brilliant, like um, fantastic to to see. It's a great day.
0: There's a, a question for us, Andy, about whether uh, these kind of practices are going in on on childless college and and research farms, and and the answer to that is yes. There's been a very large increase in in hedgerows, a lot of of uh, margins being being extended. So yeah, we're trying to to, uh, suppose, practice what we preach a little bit on, on those farms. Did you
2: come across any organic farms included in your, S- in your project? And,
1: so you know, on the onset, we had four organic farmers. Oh. Yeah. We were brought and
2: did you um, notice any discernible increase in, on them compared to conventional farms?
1: Well, if you think about it, so we had four organic farms and 36 conventional farms. So it's very difficult to make a comparison between those you would need a much larger sample size so it would be ideal if you had 10 conventional farms and 10 organic farms to compare those with
2: you would so nearly have like need with like yeah you'd nearly need a separate study in its own right
1: exactly but there have been previous research done on conventional farms and organic farms um and they did find that there was a higher species diversity um species richness and abundance of pollinators on organic farms compared to conventional farms
0: just one, I suppose, we've been focused on the positivity of, of actions, and I suppose one of the, the key issues we hear about in relation to pollinators is the use of, of pesticides. And whether or not you were able to identify with, I presume, with, with some of the tillage farms, you had a, a reduction level of use of, of, of pesticides during it, and whether that had an impact or were you able to deduce that?
1: Yes, so it is um, playing a s- significant role in pollinator um, species richness and abundance. So, by not using pesticides, you receive pollinator points. So that's within the the scorecard. So, and over the the three year period, there was eight farmers that reduced their pesticide inputs um, across the farms. So it's it's not about having a blanket not using any pesticides on your farm at all. But perhaps you don't need to use aphicides one year. Um, and it's about, you know, b- realizing that it's not something that needs to be consistently used annually. So if in year one, you had no issue with aphids on your crop and you didn't have to use them, you can get points for that. But in year two, you notice that actually there's quite a high population of aphids here. I'm going to have to use aphicides. Then you won't get points in year two. But maybe in year three, it'll come back to um, not using um. pesticides again so it's looking at um like kind of small ways where you can um make a positive impact um for for pollinators on the farm
2: there's a question um sarah about the the actual monetary benefit to farmers um you know on average what what was the the average payment or
1: uh thank you. I didn't actually mention that and and, and I, I I usually do at the onset, so the maximum drawdown a farmer received in any one year would have been four thousand euros, so that was kind of the top payment and that was just for the the funding that we had for this project. So the range of um monetary rewards uh could be as low as three hundred euro and as high as four thousand and I think we have. Eight farms that are receiving the the top payment of four thousand. Okay, but some well, farms are have so many points that they could actually get twelve thousand. We just our cap is is four.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, was there any breakdown actually? And I think you you might have mentioned it briefly between full time and, and um, part time farmers. Were, were the were the majority part time or majority full time?
1: Um. I, ooh, what were the majority? I haven't actually done an, a, a breakdown like that. I'd say maybe 25 to 15 full-time to part-time farmers. Um, So I'd say we have at least 12 farms that the household income would be solely reliant on the farm. Okay. Um, so
2: it was... substantial. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And did you have any, um, or did you collect any data or come across... Any difference between recently planted hedgerows and, you know, hedgerows that have been there hundreds of years, maybe?
1: So that's where the quality in the scorecard comes into play. So if you're looking at the number of um, flowering plants in flower within your hedge. So on a newly planted hedge, you're going to have less uh, flowers than you would in a a mature hedge. Um, And we also recorded data on the structural aspect of these hedges. And I have done, I didn't present it here today, but I have done other um, data analysis looking at hedgerow structure. So if the hedge width and length across the the whole width and length of hedgerows across the whole farm has a positive relationship with pollinator species richness, and yes is the answer.
2: And I know you're, you're probably entering year four now, are you, of your project?
1: Uh, we're in the final year so the final we're, uh, year. yeah december is
2: is, is, there, the... <clears throat> is there any potential for follow-on support for the farmers in the project and was there any like peer-to-peer learning like is there a potential for discussion groups to come in and talk to our individual farmers to just try and get the message out there
1: yeah so we have so mm-hmm. we're host, we host a number of farm walks um we've actually got one next monday um at 11 30 if anybody wants to come it's actually a, a Chagusk signpost farm walk so you can email eip at biodiversityireland.ie if you want to to come along but you'll find it on on the website um so we yeah we have a number of farm walks and then there's been a lot of peer-to-peer mentoring and again it's those farm walks and also the whatsapp group that we have
2: yeah, a few people actually asked, you know, how can they join the WhatsApp group? Uh,
1: <laughs> and uh,
2: how do you, how can you, do you, you tell us how you can access your tool that you are using there? Is that, can anybody go in uh, onto your site or? or and, so, and you-
1: <clears throat> not yet. But I'm hopeful that we might be able to launch it and we might. So annually, the National Biodiversity Data Centre run the Festival of Farmland Biodiversity. So it's ongoing at the moment and there's a number of events that you can take part in. Um, So I'm hoping for next May, we might launch the scorecard and maybe we might be able to identify the most pollinator-friendly um, farm in Ireland using this online tool. So we have to, to wait and see. It's, it's early days.
0: Okay. Uh, there's a question there as to whether, you, whether there was any of the farms in, in Upland Hill areas, probably not in Kildare, but you got into Wicklow. Uh, so, and, and was there any differences uh, uh, observed if you did?
1: Um yes, so yeah, we have Wicklow, that would have been our highest uplands. So not your traditional upland upland um farms. Um, but we did have farms with really low intensity and farms that would have been like would, would have had quite a large number of habitats um on the farms for for, for biodiversity. Um in terms of the well the the Wicklow Kildare farm, um they would have created they, they, they actually have, I, I don't know how many solitary bee nest sites on the farm um, that have either been created by the farmer or, or livestock or just there naturally in the landscape because of the upland nature of it. So that the number of nest sites reflects the, the diversity of bees that were recorded on that farm.
0: And I suppose it, it's, a, it's a real, I suppose, and going back to the acre scheme we had, the... Uh, the, the heaps of sand for solitary bees, which weren't particularly successful, but it's really good now that that has kind of merged into better knowledge, and that we now have measures that that, from what you're saying, are really applicable and and really and potentially really successful.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: One other specific one um, or a a question or a comment really here, Um, you know, dry ditches or drains that would only carry water, maybe sometimes it mightn't carry them at all during the year, depending on the year, or might carry it for a couple of months of the year. Would fencing off dry ditches and not allow grazing in spring and summer help increase habitats for bees?
1: That's a really good question. Um, And just from Mm. my own experience um, and from what I... What from this data center is what we are um, saying is it's it's about creating and maintaining and enhancing habitats for for biodiversity. But for me, what I'm noticing now is it's not just about creating, maintaining, and enhancing, but we also need to diversify. So I would not say that it's one real fits all. I would say that potentially, if you fenced one. Um, drain and hedge on your farm, you're going to create a unique habitat and it's going to provide a certain number of plant species there. But on another, on another, um, hedge, maybe you shouldn't fence it because then your livestock are going to be able to rub up against the side and create solitary bee nesting sites. So, I was on a farm walk last month and we were standing in the middle of of a field, it was a in the center and there was a hedge on the right and a hedge on the left. The one on the right was fenced. So you could see that it was fenced with 1.5 meter margin. There was great diversity of flowering plants within that margin. The one on the left wasn't fenced and there was this fabulous aggregation of Andrina, a solitary mining bee. So you've got the nesting site and you've got the food right there. So I think diversify, and that's what I would say, is to create lots of different types of habitats on the farm, and then you'll get lots of different species.
0: And I suppose that that uh, complies with, I suppose, uh, the conversations we've had on this, uh, this programme before, talking about making sure that there is a continuity throughout the season of uh, uh, food sources, I suppose, in, in, in particular. And how do you try and, and ensure that within this project?
1: And again, having a diversity of flowering plant species on the farm. So um, willow at the beginning of the year is really important a food source for some solitary bees. And ivy then at the end of the year, they could be the only two food sources for these solitary bees. So they're two different species. They're the only plants that they will feed on. So if you don't have those flowers on your farm, you won't get those solitary bees.
2: And a, a couple of comments and, and questions, really, and I don't think you directly did it in your project, but did you see any other bio-diver- biodiversity benefit that resulted from your pollinator-friendly actions, you know, advantages for birds or lizards, amphibians, small mammals? or
1: So we didn't record those directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> if you do have a higher number of pollinators, then you'll have a higher rate of pollination. So it's the pollinator that's going to pollinate mm-hmm. a hawthorn flower or a white flower and turn it into a berry. So if you've got higher rates of pollination, you're going to have a higher number of berries. So you've got higher food sources for birds. And likewise mm. with hedgerows as well, you can say that if you know, you're not cutting your hedges as frequently, you're going to provide more nesting sites for birds. Mm. Um, and then with looking at other um, newts, we wouldn't have looked at that at all. Mm.
2: Um, but you would expect even hoverflies that they would increase the be more food for birds you know
1: exactly yeah um but you know there's other positive benefits of having these pollinators in your farm that could have um value for 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 farmers so hoverflies are natural predators of aphids so by having a larger number of hoverflies you're going to have your own pest control free pest control yeah
2: yeah integrated pest management and yeah. I mean there's a few comments as well on you know other areas that possibly a similar project could look at, like um, you know, uh, wetlands and um that also have a huge amount of um you know biodiversity benefits um and that are in danger of being 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 lost as well. You know, the similar type project could possibly be engaged to look at that. Um
0: I suppose Andy there's a there's a a new round of, of funding for EIPs coming up. Where do you see yourself? Do you see an attempt to extend this project and or to change the focus? Or uh do you see yourselves putting in another application to, to learn more? Because there's no, there's no question there's a lot of learnings from this that can go into policy.
1: Definitely. Um and yes, I would um love to submit an application uh the call hasn't come up yet and uh, we're, we're all wondering when this might happen um but yeah so we'll just have to wait and see yeah
2: That's another good practical suggestion someone has made is um uh before the scorecard is launched should farmers uh be using the farmland guidelines from the all all ireland pollinator plan you know
1: definitely yes 100 uh they are fantastic guidelines and um, the hope is that from all the evidence that we've generated from this EIP is that we can feed into the the next rate, the next version of the farmland guidelines. So, yeah, it's a fantastic resource.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, Andy, I think we're going to have to, to cut it there. There was a, a, a good few questions still, still, still there to be answered uh, and we'll, we'll forward those on. Uh, and uh, maybe there's a, there was a, a couple of kind of highly technical ones that you might just fo- follow up on for a, from a couple of questioners. Yes. Uh, just like, thank you once again. I think you have really engaged our, our, our audience this morning uh, and just absolutely fascinating. And I think it shows a degree of positivity with uh, uh, and potential there for... Uh, achieving positive outcomes in in an area where I suppose for, for many years we've been trying, and, and this is, is giving real pointers as to how we might go a, about or, organising this kind of work in the future and, and paying farmers based on results. So I think thank you very much for that and, and really appreciate it. Uh, next week, we're delighted that we'll be joined by uh, Dr. Evie Nis- Nihulawan, who was the chair of the Citiz- Citizens' Assembly on Biodiversity Loss, and she'll be joining us, discussing the, the, the Citizens' Assembly and the, and the findings. So that should be a really interesting follow-on to, I think, uh, this morning's uh, uh, presentation. So until then, thank you again, Sorla, and, uh, and to Andy and Yvonne for, for uh, their work in terms of putting this, this uh, series together. Uh, enjoy your week, and we'll see you again next week.